Also, we're still in the book of Matthew. Uh, this is one of the four accounts in the Bible that focus on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Matthew is particularly concerned with showing that Jesus is the Messiah, Christ, or King. These are all similar words that the Jews are hoping for. Matthew also shows that the Messiah is not just for Jews, but for all the nations. And we'll see this in this passage we're going to read today. The outline of Matthew's gospel follows five main teachings from Jesus, showing that Jesus' words are a new and better law of Moses, which was also made up of five books in the Old Testament. So this is the last paragraph of the last main teaching of Jesus, where Jesus is answering questions about the end of the age or the end of time. And we've seen through this, this passage, um, you know, some events were possibly closer to the disciples' times, and some kind of seemed obscure. Our passage today concerns the very end of human history. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. This is Jesus talking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but they're righteous into eternal life. Pretty intense passage. So we saw last week that we need to live for the kingdom of heaven, be ready for his kingdom, and invest in the kingdom. And I've titled this week's message, Loving Jesus and the Final State of Humanity, because that's where we are in the final state of humanity. So my first point is this, is that Jesus is our great God and King. 
you know, we see that one day in this passage, Jesus will come back in great glory with an army of angels. This is very different how he came to earth. He came to earth with very little pomp and glory. In the beginning of this gospel, we see that a multitude of angels appeared to some shepherds in the countryside announcing the birth of Jesus. And there were some Persian magi who gave Jesus gift, which rattled King Herod and the religious elites. But there was not much else that made Jesus stand out in kingly terms. He was born as a helpless baby, just like the rest of humanity, from his teenage parents who didn't know what to make of it. He was born in a manger. We think of that as a beautiful scene, but that's with all the stinky animals and certainly no palace. Jesus spent most of his life similarly without having wealth or great power. He was essentially homeless, relying on his friends to support his ministry and spent most of his time in the country area of Galilee, not even in Jerusalem, the biggest city in the area. However, his second coming will be completely different. He will come with an army of angels behind him, ready to bring judgment to the world. The phrase son of man was by far Jesus's favorite title for himself. And this phrase and this verse about him coming on his throne borrow hev borrows heavily from the book of Daniel. And now Daniel is an Old Testament prophet during the Babylonian captivity when the southern kingdom of Israel was sieged and destroyed and the survivors were taken to Babylon out of the kingdom of, of Israel. He has this dream during this time about four beasts re representing four kingdoms prior to the end of time. And he sees after these kingdoms, a vision of God. And I can't read the whole chapter, but I'm going to take a section out. This is verse 13 and 14 from chapter seven. It says, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So we see in this verse and in the book of Daniel that the son of man will come with the clouds of heaven. He won't be the humble, marginalized, impoverished man from Galilee, but he will come clearly as the king of kings and lord of lords. It reminds me of, in a lot of ways, like Kuwait. You know, I've lived in Kuwait for, uh, this is my 13th year in Kuwait. And what I've come to realize is they're not super serious about a lot of their laws and rules. You know, I've driven with an expired license plate, never got pulled over. I've, as long as you don't go over the speed limit, you can pretty much do whatever you want. It's not a problem. It's, it's, and it's an easy lifestyle. However, when, the, when, when COVID hit lock, and lockdown began, uh, they started to flex their muscles, right? I took my son out on the first day thinking, like, it's just Kuwait, like, not a big deal. And a ministry car pulled up into my driveway. And um, I think the only reason we didn't get deported that night was because I didn't speak any Arabic. And I just said, sorry. You know, I saw on Amman Street a tank with other uh, weaponized trucks with guns on them I in other armored vehicles. You know, they shut down the airport. 
So you, you can see that Kuwait can seem like a soft country where nobody follows the rules and it's an easy lifestyle. But when they decided to flex their muscles when that pandemic came and put down the harsh rules because they had the power to do so. And this is the same with Jesus. You know, he came the first time as an unassuming man, but there will be no mistaking Jesus coming on the clouds after he rips open the sky with an army of angelic beings that will be seen throughout the whole world. And if you think about it, Jesus will sit on a throne. A throne is a massive chair. And the, you see chairs like this with the Emir talking and other leaders, and it represents and shows who is in charge. You know, as a, as a uh, university teacher, I have a different chair and desk than my students. And I'm often up trying to get my students to pay attention. But when it's time for a test or to receive assessments, it becomes clear that I'm the one in charge. I sit down in my chair and they're sitting down. And similarly, Jesus will be in glory and even his throne will be glorious something that is massive, something that shows that he is in control. And he is the one that pronounces judgments on the world. Yet in this lifetime, we have a tendency to judge God. Many people throughout history have judged God for being evil or not all powerful or confusing or weak or non-existent. And even as Christians, we tend to judge God when life gets challenging or we begin to suffer, when our dreams are delayed, when we feel like our prayers bounce off the ceiling, and it seems like the whole world is closing in on us. Our tendency is to doubt his goodness, his sovereignty, or his love. We can think that he is not real or that he is not good or that he is far away. And it's okay to have questions and even to have doubts at times. You know, as your elder pastor, it's to be real, it's been a hard year. It's been a hard year for all of us. 2020 was like the worst year I probably ever had, and probably not just for me, for many of us. And it's okay to have questions and be like, God, where are you? I've said that to myself many times this last year. Where are you? I feel like he is sometimes far away. And like, why are these things happening? Why is my life so difficult? And it's okay to have questions as we read in the Psalms. The, the David and others had questions, but we are not to act in spite of all that as God's judge, because God is the judge and we are set before him. He will separate the people from all the nations. And if you remember where I spoke a few weeks ago, uh, that there will be a witness to God's revelation to all the nations Right at the end of history, there will be a group of people from all the ethno-linguistic groups on the planet that have heard and believed the gospel, right? Either a church or a body of believers in all the nations. That's, that's what the end of time will look like. So it's, and it's not as though, uh, when he says nations, it's not like, you know, China, you've been bad. You're, a, you're a, one of the goats, but the UK, you're on the right. You're one of the sheep. No, what he's saying here is that God is judging individuals from every nation. And at this point, all nations will have heard the gospel. So, and this was groundbreaking for, for the time because it was previously thought that only Jews could enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus here is saying, no, it's beyond Jews. 
is for all the nations of the earth. The kingdom of heaven, you can be part of the kingdom of heaven from any nation, every nation, fulfilling his promise of salvation for all the nations. So what does this mean for us today? First, we need to worship the king. While he was born as a helpless baby, did most of his ministry in the countryside, died alone on a cross, we need to see him as he will be, as God incarnate. He chose to come down as a baby to identify with us, to show the way that humanity should live. He suffered and bled and died as punishment for our sin, for our evil deeds, and for our selfishness. However, he rose on the third day, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and to build a kingdom, not just for Jews, but from all the nations of the world that believe in him. And he will come back, as I described, with eyes like fireballs, it says in Daniel, dressed in pure white and a throne made of fire, as it says in Daniel, ready to judge us. So imagine him as this. So how do we, how do we practically worship him? Well, we get excited about him. We spend time with him. We talk to him and pray to him. Just this summer, I spent a lot of time with my in-laws, and my father-in-law is a huge um, uh, University of Texas fan, the Longhorns. And every day in the summer, he would talk about uh, his season pass tickets. He would talk about the flights he's getting on to go see them. He would play their uh, fight song to my kids, um, watching videos of them in, in past games. And he is, I think, even right now there, right? He's, he's in Texas watching one of the home games. This is a man, I think this is like worship, right? He, to borrow the phrase, he, he basically worships them right? He, he loves them. He's interested in them. He puts his time and his energy and his money and his life into them, right? But the King of King and the Lord of Lords should get us more excited than any sports events, because this is not only real, but it can change the trajectory of the world and into eternity. So to encourage you, let's read the Bible, looking at the words of Jesus and get excited. Let's read books that talk about him and the glorious realities about what the kingdom looks like and will look like. Let's get together and pray and spend time with other believers and sing songs to him as we sing just now and pour out our hearts and our desires to him because he is worthy of our worship, true worship, lasting worship. And that is one of the chief activities in the new heaven and earth, which will be, we will be worship. So we need to worship God Jesus as God and King. My second point is that those who inherit the kingdom are those who love the subjects of the kingdom. So Jesus is talking, he rips the sky open, he sits on his throne made of fire, and then he separates the people of the nations. He puts them in two groups, and he says they are separated as a shepherd, shepherd separates sheep from goats. So throughout the Old Testament, the Bible refers to the people of God as sheep, and both sheep and goats were often herded together by the shepherd, but were separated at nights. This is because goats could wreak havoc among the sheep. They tend to dominate and play tricks on the sheep. They eat everything. And goats were sometimes used in the Old Testament to describe destruction and worldly power because goats 
destroy everything they can. They eat everything they can. And also the right hand, as many of you know, in ancient literature refers to the place of honor, but the left hand is for those who do not have the favor of the king. So the sheep are the people of God from all the nations that have God's favor. And, and Jesus says so, right? So he says these people are blessed by God and they have reached the inheritance that was predestined for them. That's some pretty good news for the sheep. Right, They have God's blessing. They have his favor. They inherit this kingdom that God has been preparing since the beginning of time, as it says in John. Right, And he says here, it's been prepared since the foundation of the world. And I talked a lot about this kingdom last week, but think again that this kingdom has been prepared for you and for me, for Joseph, for Matt and Beth, for Abiel and Dalal. We will enjoy everything about it, the best things about this life whether it's a relationship, it's power, it's pleasure, they are just a taste of what things will be like. The best aspects of this life are just the appetizer. The eternal kingdom is the main course and it's forever. We can enjoy things and people and learning and growing and being with God without end, without hindrance, without sin. This is good news, ladies and gentlemen. And then he tells us why. You know, why has this been prepared for them? These sheep met Jesus' needs. Jesus was hungry, thirsty, alone, naked, sick, and in prison. And these people gave food and drink, welcome, clothing, visited Jesus, and helped Jesus in his sickness and imprisonment. <coughs> Excuse me. At this point, the blessed, they're confused. These sheep, uh, they asked the question, when did we see you in all these circumstances? They are probably thinking that they would remember if the king of the universe, if they saw or helped them. It's like the old joke. You know, somebody says, have you seen this man? Have you seen Jesus? Oh yeah, Jesus, eyes like a flame of fire, clothing white as snow, head like pure wool, sword coming out of his mouth, face like the sun, throne made of fire. I haven't seen him, right? And that's kind of what they're asking. We, when did we see you? in all these, this situation, right? How could even Jesus have these kinds of needs? And Jesus responds by saying, as they met the needs of the least of his brothers, he did it to him. This is an incredible power and powerful statement, right? Jesus first calls these, these brother, these, his subjects, he calls them brothers, right? They are not just subjects in Jesus' kingdoms. They are brothers of the king. If you are a Christian and you love Jesus, you are more than his subjects. You are a brother or sister of Jesus. You are part of the royal family of God, right? I had this really heartwarming sort of moments uh, before I came to Kuwait. So my, my son, Silas, and Elliot, they fight all the time about toys, about everything. They're just, some few people, when I first joined the call, they were here and they were yelling and screaming at each other before Stephanie graciously took them downstairs. However, the other day, um, we're on the playgrounds, and there's other little kid pushed Silas, and Elliot got in this kid's face and said, that's my brother. Don't you hurt him. And that was like a very proud dad moment for me because it was... Uh, it was just amazing to see that he wanted to protect his brother, even though they fight all the time. 
And even if they do fight with each other, Elliot, I know, will defend his little brother if needed. That's how Jesus thinks of us, right? He's not only our God, he's our big brother. Beyond this, Jesus so identifies with his disciples that loving and caring for them is actually loving and caring for Jesus. This goes even beyond brotherhood and says that these people are me. These are me. You did this to them. You did this to me, he says. Jesus and his disciples are the same according to Jesus. This is power. Jesus not only calls us brothers, but he thinks of each one of you as he does for himself. Right? The name Christian means little Christs because we are to live with Christ in us and live like Christ. But this is also saying the opposite is true. Jesus is saying that any service done for me, for uh, Brad, for Joseph, um, for Jason is done to Jesus. Anything done to them is done to Jesus. And it's not just to any Christian, but to the least, it says. Now, of course, serving any Christian counts as service to Christ because he's making the case from the least to the greatest, right? You serve the least, you can go all the way up. Even so, the service is done for the brothers that Jesus mentions clothing, being fed, being comforted, alone or in prison, implies strongly that Jesus wants us specifically to seek out the least of our brothers and sisters. And that's hard because most, of, most people like me want to serve people like us, people who can repay us. Maybe not directly, but a kind of, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, I pick you up from the airport, and then maybe next time you'll pick me up from the airport, right? These Christians and brothers who need to be fed, clothed, and comforted, however, will likely never be able to pay you back in any form. You'll get probably no reward in this life for it. And this is what Jesus means, right? Jesus loves the whole world, but he has a particular love for his people, for his children, for his brothers. And among his people, he has an even more special love for those who are suffering, those who are needy, those who are weak, those who are struggling. And if you remember, long time ago, several months ago, we we're in chapter 18 in Jesus's fourth major speech. The disciples ask, which disciple or who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right. And we spent five weeks or more talking about Jesus' definition of greatness is those who are like children and not to despise the little ones, meaning the weak brothers in the faith. These are the least in the kingdom of heaven. These are the believers who are in true need of comfort or support, to be clothed and fed, to need welcoming. So the application is, is clear here, right? If we are entered in the kingdom, we need to do these things. We need to have a deep love for the believer, as Jesus says in John 13. That by all this, this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. However, we are specifically to target those believers who are least in the kingdom of heaven. And there are many ways to do this. Um, you know, you can give your time and your money to your brothers and sisters. One Christian, there's many charities and organizations that specifically target believers. One Christian charity is called the Barnabas Fund, which I think our church just gave a thousand KD to help the persecuted church in Nigeria. And we've given them in the past as well. And they provide specific food and aid to the persecuted church around the world. And I would highly recommend you that you consider carefully how you can give to the Barnabas Fund or other funds that provide support, aid, 
and hope to weak and suffering and broken Christians around the world. So that's one way. And while that's correct and that's good, we also need to get our hands dirty as well, right? Yes, we should use our funds. At the same time, there is a critical element in this passage about time that Jesus is talking about, right? He wants Christian strangers to be welcomed by us. He wants to spend time with those. He wants us to spend time with those who are sick or in prison. And this is by no means easy, right? Because these kinds of brothers who are sick and weak and struggling are probably not going to be the most fun, exciting, and faithful Christians, right? They are likely to struggle coming faithfully to church or to small group. There's going to be probably plenty of baggage, emotional, psychological, spiritual. They may have patterns of sin that are difficult to break. And what I'm saying is that this is not, these, are, these people are not likely your best return on investment, right? If you think of it in investment terms, you know, you want to, I put money into a house this year to rent it out for Airbnb. My goal is to make more money than I put in. But this is not the God's economy, right? This is not how we, we are to think about the Christian life. We are to love and care for the least, the ones who may never fully develop and be the Christian we want them to be. And that's Jesus's point. We love them not because they provide benefit to us, but because they too are Jesus's brothers and sisters and the people who Jesus identifies with. And also to be clear, this is why it takes tr spiritual transformation to do this. We cannot will ourselves and force ourselves to love the most broken Christians we know if we are not transformed to be able to do this. You first need to believe that Jesus died for your wrongdoings, that he rose again and truly is bringing the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. If you do believe that a God will give you a desire, even if it's a tiny little desire, to care for our Christian brothers. And if there is no desire, if you have no desire to be around Christians or with Christians, then maybe you should take a hard look at yourself and your relationship with Jesus and talk to him and make sure that you are one of his people. Because even though it's hard and it's, it's a challenge, when I became a Christian, I did want to spend time with other believers. So what do we do? We can call them up, send them a text message, see how they are doing, really doing, right? We can pray for them both alone and with them. Often what I try to do is if I'm having something they mention in prayer need, I try to pray for it right then and there because I'm the kind of person who tends to forget, right? We're busy people. So you can take them along with what you are already doing. You know, you're going to the store. Hey, I'll come get you. We can just go to the store together. We can chat. Take, you're taking your kids to the park. You're going on a walk, getting coffee. Just bring people into your life because I know we're super busy. But Jesus is clearly making spending time with the least of his believers and loving and spending time with them a pro priority. So we should too. And yes, this is something that I also need to grow in. I'm preaching to myself here as much as I am to any of you because I struggle with this too because I am also busy. So Jesus is our great God and King of the kingdom. And we love Jesus by loving the least in Jesus's kingdom. And my third point is there are eternal consequences for not loving those in the kingdom. After Jesus returns, you know, he divides the believers and unbelievers, explains to them that their love 
the believers that their love and kindness toward the least of Jesus' people, showing their transformed lives, tells them that he loves them because he loved the least of my people. Then he turns this group on the left and tells them the opposite. And as wonderful is the news about those on the right inheriting the kingdom, the news for those on the left is equally terrifying. Right? These people are, these are the damned. He tells them to get out of my sight and they are cursed or doomed. Their future is for the eternal fire, which was made for Satan and his evil messengers. So just as Jesus identifies with believers as brothers and as himself, Jesus also identifies those who rejected him as with the devil and, and the demons. So I know many people tend not to believe that hell is real or that the devil and demons are not real because it's unpleasant and uncomfortable to think about. People are all about, even non-Christians, but going to heaven, being in a better place, eternal peace, angels protecting them. There's not necessarily a Christian thought, but this is many people think this, non-Christians. People do not want to believe, however, in demons and the devil, a place of torment, a place of pain and separation after this life. However, that makes no logical sense because if we think heaven is eternal, then hell must also be real and eternal just as, as much as heaven is. And Jesus is very clear about it here. Hell is a place of separation from Jesus Christ forever. If Jesus, as I said last week, is the sum of our hopes, dreams, and desires, then hell is a place of hopelessness, despair, and loneliness. He also says it's eternal. And just as heaven is a place of eternal life, joy, and peace, hell is an everlasting place of pain and misery and agony. There is an eternal fire, it says. The worst physical pain, the worst emotional pain, the worst psychological pain that you've ever felt is just a taste of how hell will be. Remember, this is a place of a gathering of all the nations at the end of time where there has been a witness from the gospel to all these nations. So these people have had an opportunity to hear the gospel in their own ethnic group, in their own language. So there is no excuse that these people never had an opportunity to hear. So Jesus says that the reason these people are going to a place of eternal conscious torment is because they did not love, they did not care about, they did not help Jesus. And they gave Jesus no drink, no food, no clothes, no comfort when he was sick and in prison. And these people are likely terrified, shrieking in, in terror and confusion. They ask the same question. No, Jesus, we didn't see you like this, or we would have served you. And this is true today. You know, I've heard many people say, if Jesus showed up today and performed these miracles, I would believe, but it was so long ago. The Gospels were written by people. They could have embellished the stories. You know, they would like a clear, demonstrable sign from God that Jesus is real and they would believe. But this is not true. In Jesus' day, when he was doing miracles by the thousands, many people did not believe him, including the Pharisees and much of his family did not believe. And even today, there are miracles happening where people are healed by the power of Jesus and yet they choose not to see those things or believe those things. So Jesus has the same answer for these people. Because they did not care for love or spend time with the least of his brothers, 
they did not love or serve him. And this is the heart of the matter, right? Because they did not love Jesus, they did not love his disciples. They, like the rest of unredeemed humanity, think that Christians are bigots, foolish, broken, and use God as a crutch. In short, they think that they are losers. So why would people help Christians out? And in a sense, they are right. We are losers. We are broken. I am broken. I sin. I mistakes. I hurt people. Yet even in all of our brokenness, our weakness, our failures, we are disciples of Jesus. And we will one day fully be restored. So in conclusion, <coughs> Jesus is our God and King. There is eternal life for those who love his people and eternal torment for those who forsake his people. And the question I want to ask you, which side do you want to find yourself in front of Jesus? We're all going to die someday. It may be tomorrow. It may be later, but we all die. And if you die not loving Jesus and his people, you will be placed on Jesus's left and you will go away, as it says in the last verse, from the presence of Christ and will experience eternal conscious torment forever. If you are not a Christian, this life is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. And this is, I'm not saying this is just about information and knowledge of Jesus, but a true relationship with him. There are Bible scholars with PhDs in Christian universities. I got my master's from a seminary. And there were uh, people whose books I've read who knew more Greek and Hebrew than I probably ever, ever will, but they do not believe. They are, they are skeptics. They are atheists. They are agnostics. They're not believers, yet they, they have so much more information than I could probably ever imagine with the Bible. If you don't believe, it does not matter. This information is not important. If you don't believe it, it's about believing in it. So if you have any doubt in your mind, whether you are a Christian, whether you truly love him and love his disciples, then you need to change right now. You can ask Jesus into your heart right now and make him the king of your life, and he will make you a part of his kingdom. He will also empower you to love his people and his brothers, as this passage shows. And if you are a Christian, we still need to ask God to help us to love the least of our brothers and sisters who are Jesus's people. We can be difficult to love, care, and provide for, but this we must do. And we can't do it in our own strength, but as we seek the king and his kingdom, we can grow in loving each other. Yes, it's challenging. We're busy. We're stretched. But for you, this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. So even if it's hard to do this, there is an eternal reward waiting for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for my friends here. I thank you for your word, which speaks intense, difficult truths into our minds and our hearts. But I pray that you would transform us through them, that we'd be more like you, that we'd love, help me, Help us to love each other and love the least of your disciples as you call us to do, Jesus. This is hard. And I pray for anyone who is doubting or not sure if they are Christians, that you would speak to them and convict them of sin and bring them to you, Jesus. Bless the rest of this time together. In your name we pray. Amen.